Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we are going to be diving into episodes 385 through 387, which will cover manga chapters 490 through 493. And this is the start of the mega saga that is the Summit War Saga, which comprises many smaller story arcs, beginning with this one, the Sabodi Archipelago arc, which we will get started. So, synopsis, as we return to the main journey, the Straw Hats make it to the Red Line once again at the halfway point this time, but find themselves unable to figure out a way past it into the New World when they unexpectedly save a mermaid named Kami and her starfish friend Pupbug, who are willing to show them how to get there, but first they need to rescue their takoyaki chef friend, who happens to be a very familiar being to the Straw Hats. Alright, so differences. The only real difference that I saw was everything with the crew relaxing prior to the serpent currents appearing is not in the manga. Even the whole sequence with the serpent uh, currents is greatly expanded upon in the anime, as in the manga it's literally just one quarter page panel depicting the sunny in amongst a large sea of pillars of water. And yeah, this, uh, this whole beginning I think was just stretched out obviously to make it fit into the episode so that it ends at a certain point, but also to kind of fill time as well. But yeah, that's really the only difference I found in these episodes. They're, for the most part, adapted very faithfully. Okay, so let's get into the my thoughts on these episodes. So of course, as we often do between major sagas, we get to see the, an update with the Marines and the world government which is always very interesting to see how they react to the further exploits of Luffy and the Straw Hats. And in this scene, it's pretty interesting and funny as we now get an interesting point of view with the fact that we know Garp is Luffy's grandfather, and Sengoku is scolding Kuma for letting everyone live on Thriller Bark. And I think the first thing that catches my ears is the fact that Sengoku scolds Kuma for being soft on them because they were already injured. And this kind of leads... Uh, us and myself to infer that maybe this isn't the first time Kuma has kind of taken mercy on a target, which again deepens Kuma's character a bit because despite his sort of tyrant epithet, he doesn't seem all that tyrannical. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's very interesting to see Kuma sort of be this sort of, I don't know, not quite as fearsome as maybe some of the other Shibukai that we've met so far. The other interesting thing here is despite Garp being a very highly ranked marine, he has a seemingly very casual and close relationship with Sengoku and and an incredibly relaxed attitude about the bureaucracy of the marines and the world government. I love that Garp is definitely trying to toe the line of being a loyal marine officer and being protective of his grandson, reassuring Sengoku that Luffy isn't the type to blab about his victory over Moria to anyone. And then also trying to lead the conversation away by offering up some good tea, which Sengoku is having none of since it's him who has to basically answer to the Gorose about all these different things. But I do like that there is, yeah, there there is some depth to these characters. But anyways, with that scene out of the way, let's get back to the main one. After getting through a storm of serpent currents, they finally made it halfway around the globe and the Grand Line. And they are now once again at the red line. And this is kind of surreal that we're already here distance-wise at the halfway point in the journey. Of course, story-wise, this isn't quite halfway, which we'll get to as we go. But I love that Oda uses the same imagery of the first time when they left Logtown. 
And this is a significant moment in the series and for the crew, and as well as us. And it's treated with the reverence it deserves as they all recollect on how they first entered the Grand Line. And of course, we saw how our original five got there with the barrel scene. But Robin, Frankie, and Brooke all remember their memories of their journeys. And of course, Chopper was born in the Grand Line, so he's just amazed to be seeing the, the Red Line for the first time at all. And they all need to be on alert as Nami rightly reminds them that, and us, that this is incredibly close to the Marine headquarters as well as Marijua. But I love that contrast with the very next scene. Chopper is playing in the water with his little floaties and it's really cute. Zoro is back to training, recalling how weak he was against Kuma. And we see that this event really had an impact on Zoro both mentally and physically as we'll, we'll continue to see how this has actually affected Zoro in a more, much deeper way than any other fight so far has, ex- aside from maybe his battle with Mihawk, obviously. However, it never occurred to me how they would actually cross the red line, uh, as there's no reverse mountain to scale up this time, and it looks like they're going to have to go under it or through it, um, through Fishman Island. And... This leads them to explore the underwater in this shark-submerged submarine. And I do find it kind of strange and a little foolish that they went with the three devil fruit users and no normal humans to go underwater. I guess at that depth, it really wouldn't matter, but (laughs) you'd think they would at least send one non-devil fruit user in there. But instead, it's Luffy, Robin, and Brooke, all people who would be useless if that thing started leaking water. However... The three are chased by a giant rabbit sea monster, which Luffy promptly disposes of once they surface. But in the ensuing attack, the rabbit sea monster pukes up two beings, which if you've paid attention to the cover stories, should be incredibly familiar to you. If not, you should go check out episode 51 of my podcast, where I go over that particular cover story. These two are none other than... than Kami and Pupug from the fourth cover story, Hachan Seafloor Stroll. Wow, that's really hard to say. Where last we saw them, they were sailing around with Hachi in their new takoyaki stand um, little boat. And, however, it'll be interesting to see what happened to Hachi and how these two wound up inside of the, the sea monster bunny. And this will mark the first time we get to see a mermaid in, tra- in the traditional sense. Um, of course, Kokoro was our first intro into a mermaid in one piece but it's a running joke that everyone kind of forgets about that part of her it's pretty rude of everyone but we got to see luffy's disgusted face when imagining kokoro as a mermaid and it's so damn funny um and it's even kind of become its own mini meme all on its own because of how funny that face is and there's also a scene much later when Zoro finally gets introduced to Kami where he hilariously actively destroys the memory of Kokoro <laughs> from, from being the first mermaid he ever met. And yeah, she obviously mentions it later, but this trend of being popped out of a sea monster after being eaten whole was how we were first introduced to her in the cover story. And it seems she's very prone to it. As she mentions, this is now about the 20th time that this has happened. And it's also fun that she even keeps the same over-the-top comedic shock face from the cover stories. Although, I'll be honest, I actually imagined Kami to have pink hair for some reason, so it was quite the surprise when I first saw this episode and her hair was green. I think I actually liked the green hair better. And my picture of Papag was pretty much spot on. I imagined that he was orange, and sure enough, I was right. And 
Right off the bat, we get quickly caught up with a few of the elements of the cover story, like how she sells takoyaki and as a thank you, accidentally tries to sell them some for 500 berries instead of just offering them. And Kami brings such a fun energy to the story like we've never seen before. I feel like she's a little bit uh, hyperactive in her comedic style and it's kind of all over the place. But And it's such a dumb joke, but I crack up every time that random joke of Brooke inappropriately and nonsensically, I might add, asked to borrow money from her out of nowhere. <laughs> like, why? And or, or the other joke of Luffy going back to the well of questioning any strange living thing if they poop. <laughs> and I know it's, uh, poop jokes are always kind of the lowest common denominator, but for some reason, this one always gets me. And yeah, sure enough, she basically she, she gets cut off by Sanji, but it sounds like mermaids do, and that kind of makes sense. We then get our intro to Pup Pug the Starfish, and one bit of translator's note here, Pup Pug's song is a huge play uh, on words in Japanese. So in star in Japanese, starfish is called a hitode, while a human/person is called a hito. So the whole song is just word playing on the fact that they both sound very similar. For example, one of the lines is, I'm not a person, I'm a starfish. In Japanese, hitode nashi, as in I'm not a person, or hitode dayo, as in I am a starfish, sound very similar, but if you kind of change the intonation a bit, they almost sound like you're saying the exact same thing. And there's also a third word play thrown in there at the end about having enough hands and that's because in Japanese, hands is te. But if you were to describe, you know, if you're describing a human, you could also say hitode because you would change that T sound to a D sound when you actually add it kind of as a suffix or following certain words. Which again, hitode or hitote is also starfish. And that's also why he's soliciting for laughs at the end of the song because the whole song is actually meant to be one big punchline. And... And he's just not getting it. And that's kind of the joke. I think I think they do an admirable job of trying to convey that in the subtitles. But it is a little lost in translation. Also, Pop Pug's voice might sound familiar to you because he's already been in One Piece before. This is uh, Kozo Shioya, who also plays Genzo from the Arlong Park arc, which I think is a very fitting voice. And I think I forgot to mention this during my Arlong Park episodes, but he's also a big Dragon Ball Z alum as he plays all forms of Majin Buu, as well, as well as Guldo from the Ginyu Force. His explanation for how he can speak is also very Oda. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's just kind of... He explains it almost like as a, as a matter of fact, but it's hand-waved away with a ridiculous explanation. But for some reason, I always buy it in One Piece. Like, I don't even question it all that much anymore. We then get to a very hotly anticipated topic in that when Luffy wants the takoyaki, Kami obviously calls the person who makes them, which is Hachi. And we all collectively wonder how they will react to seeing Hachi again, especially Nami. However, before that, we learn that Hachi has been abducted by some people called the Macro Pirates with the help of the Flying Fish Pirates. Now, the Macro Pirates are those pirates in the cover story actually and so they're not new characters but you know obviously this is where we first get to see them or at least hear them at this point in the anime the flying fish pirates however are new but after the call nami kind of recognizes the voice but can't quite put 
a face to it just yet, but she offers to help in exchange for information on how to get to Fishman Island. However, I remember the tension I had anticipating the moment where Nami and Hachi actually do see each other. Like, I was thinking, how would Nami react to seeing her past captor and torturer and now needing to be saved by her? And she was, you know, the one being asked to do it. And, it's, you know, obviously, Kami is coming from a very sincere place, but Hachi is a different story. As well as how the others would react as well, especially Sanji, who is always so protective of Nami and her feelings. There were definitely a lot of things flying around in my head during all of this, trying to like imagine what that potential reunion would be like. But moving ahead, though, we get a glimpse into more of what the mermaids can do compared to fishmen. And they seem to have sort of like this psychokinetic way of speaking to actual fish, very similar to how Aquaman is portrayed. And Luffy's comment about about how as long as they have Kami, they can eat all-you-can-eat fish is pretty hilarious, but also incredibly insensitive at the same time, which Sanji appropriately scolds him for. And that is an interesting thing. Like, what do fish people eat? I mean, I guess they would eat other fish? Maybe not sentient fish? I, yeah, that, that part I don't really know. Maybe we'll learn in Fishman Island. As the Straw Hats make their way to save Hachi from the mis- this mysterious Duval, we finally get to see him as he's this huge man. Not quite a giant, but definitely a massive man, similar to Kuma and Moria. But on the way, Pog introduces probably one of the darker sides of one- the One Piece world that will continue to loom large over the rest of the series, and that is the practice of human trafficking. It seems there is a booming business of kidnapping people and selling them off. In particular, mermaids are extremely valuable, no doubt, because of their rarity to the surface world. And I remember at the time thinking this was probably just going to be like a sanitized fantasy world depiction of human trafficking. But I was definitely wrong. One Piece does not shy away from the horrors and the impacts of what human trafficking and slavery can do. I mean, it still obviously keeps it on a kind of a PG-13 rated level, but it does dive deeper into it and more so than I thought it would, as we'll see. And yeah, I do really appreciate that One Piece is kind of maturing with its audience as it goes further into the series and starts to introduce some of these like darker themes and sort of darker concepts. Of course, while Pop Pug and Kami are talking about Hachi and how great a guy he is, Zoro hearing this immediately reminds himself of Hachi. (laughs) Because this makes sense since Zoro is probably the person who spent the second most amount of time with Hachi apart from Nami. And Sanji, like we thought, goes out of his way to say that if it is in fact the same Hachi, he's definitely not going to save him. They're soon attacked by the flying fish riders who live up to their name and actually fly for an extended period of time. Five minutes, in fact acting as sort of like flying motorcycles, which I've got to hand it to Oda look very cool. This design and concept is really, really awesome. But as soon as they appear, they retreat as Duval has been waiting for the Straw Hats as he seemingly has some history with someone in on the Straw Hat crew. And I remember when this chapter of the manga dropped at the time, the internet went wild with speculation as to who Duval could be. And I remember many people thought it could be Don Krieg back for revenge, but I personally thought that was highly unlikely. Of course, if you were watching this for the first time in the anime, you'd immediately be able to tell it wasn't him by the voice. 
And I figured it was someone from maybe Zoro's past as like a bounty hunter that we hadn't met yet, but I was not prepared for how amazing the reveal actually was for Duval. And it was a hundred times better than anything I could have think of or any of us could think of. And I think this is further enhanced by the dialogue he writes for Duval, sending him his absolute searing hatred for the Straw Hats. Overhearing this, Hachi realizes the Straw Hats are now in possession of Kami and are coming while still holding a grudge against him. He even tries to bribe the macro pirates with takoyaki, which obviously doesn't work. And yeah, the tension continues to rise as they approach ever closer to the base of the Flying Fish Riders with who Duval is and why he's so angry, as well as the Straw Hats reunion with Hachi. Hachi is clearly scared of the Straw Hats and what they'll do to him. And so in desperation, he kind of covers himself with his own Takuhachi Black ink, which obviously doesn't work. But it is a funny imagery when he's like completely black with just his eyes. And they're all pretty much on to Hachi except for Luffy. Then Sanji just straight up asks him hilariously how Arlong is doing. And it's revealed that Arlong, Kurobi, and Chu were all captured while Hachi recounts his cover story. However, despite knowing that it is the same Hachi, Luffy actually still considers helping him by inquiring if Hachi's takoyaki really are that good. <laughs> Showing that, yeah, Luffy's priorities are a little bit more geared towards his stomach, as always. Then we get one of the funnier interactions when Kami realizes that the Straw Hats are familiar with Hachi and mistakes that familiarity for them being old friends. And when she turns to Zoro, who happens to be standing next to her, she innocently asks if they were friends with Hachi, and Zoro ferociously replies back, we were not friends. And it's so great that this that this is Zoro, who probably has the second most animosity towards Hachi. I love this scene. It makes me laugh so hard every time. Uh, but the other thing about this exchange that makes it a little bit more funny in Japanese is that Kami uses the word otomodachi, and so, which is a much more cutesy and familiar version of the word tomodachi, which is friend. So when Zoro, this tough guy, you know, retorts back, uh, you know, ironically using the same otomodachi janeyo, it makes it all the more funny. And this is actually a slight change in the anime and for the better, as in the manga, Zoro just uses the normal tomodachi without the o prefix. By by adding this, though, it's even funnier hearing Zoro ironically say otomodachi. And so when he yells that, to Kami in that, in that way, it's so funny because you'd never really expected Zoro to use a word like otomodachi. After some hesitation, the Straw Hats decide that they can't help Hachi, and this moment is kind of sad from Kami and Pop Pug's perspective. Left with no choice, Kami and Pop Pug jump in to try and rescue Hachi themselves and immediately captured with Usopp reacting with his trademark Tsukomi joke reaction of, you're, you're the definition of all talk. And I do like that moment where Nami takes a hard look at Hachi and really considers her thoughts and feelings on the matter, eventually deciding to help Hachi, saying he was mostly harmless. Of course, by no means is she absolving Hachi of his part in Arlong's reign of terror and crimes, but just as we saw in Arlong Park way back when, Hachi was probably the most friendly and harmless one of them all. I think those scenes with Zoro before he knew he was part of the Straw Hats really went a long ways to show that, especially in contrast with Kurobi and True. Obviously, Hachi is still in the wrong for being complicit in Arlong's crimes, but Hachi himself doesn't seem to be a sadistic or evil guy. 
I mean, even to the point where he kind of became friends with Zoro before he eventually knew that they were enemies, like when they were, you know, when he was running the taxi service portion uh, um, on Arlong Park. And yeah, you seem like Hachi and Zoro could actually get along until they were basically made to fight each other. And this moment also brings us to how this is a really great growth moment for Nami as well. Despite the horrors she's had to endure at the hands of Arlong and anyone associated with him, she still has the maturity and kindness to not only think about it calmly, but be able to somewhat forgive Hachi because she can see that because she saw Hachi as not being an innately evil guy, has the ability to atone for his crimes. I also really like that the rest of the main crew like Usopp and Zoro who were there to see what she had gone through are genuinely concerned for Nami and confirm with her if she's actually okay with it. And she does indeed confirm that she's fine. But by far the best response is Luffy as he's seemingly thoughtfully looking out into the distance saying, okay, if it's, if it's okay with you, we have no choice. As if he's sort of resistant to the idea at first, but when he turns around, his eyes are replaced with takoyakis, and he's already drooling, doing his best, but failing miserably at hiding his intense desire to save Hachi for his famous takoyaki. <laughs> um, and this moment, honestly, it is a way better gag in the medium of animation because you get the setup with the dialogue and the voice acting before you actually see Luffy's face for the ultimate punchline. And in the manga, this is all done in one panel, so you don't quite get the same effect of that buildup. And I also love the added detail that the takoyaki eyes are sizzling with steam, (laughs) as if they're actually real takoyaki in his eyes. But yeah, with the crew in agreement, the conflict begins as Luffy rescues Kami and Pupbug. And then Luffy tr- excitedly and triumphantly orders his crew to go wild with what, and then with what I consider to be Luffy's anthem playing in the background. And there's something really awesome about this scene with the music and the fact that Luffy has such a big crew now all put together just shows how excited Luffy is that his crew is really coming together and just in time to kind of start their journey into the new world. But unfortunately, this is where these sets of episodes end. And so the big reveal of who the hell Duval is will have to wait till the next podcast. But trust me, it is so worth it. But yeah, we'll end it here. But if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. Please check those out. Um, but yeah. No spoiler section this week, but as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. Stay safe out there, and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye!